0: Chapter 3, verse 12 through 23, bless you. Reading from the message. Judges chapter 3, 12 through 23, and then we'll jump to 27 through 30. The Bible says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and Amalekites as allies. And then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. Does any of this bother you already? Three verses it and it makes me itchy. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, Ehud son of Gera, a left-headed man of the tribe of Benjamin. A left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. After today's message, you will never read that verse the same way again. The Israelites sent Ehud or Ehud, uh, to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot log, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. What are y'all laughing about? i kids. You can't say fat around them kids. They just start laughing. After delivering the payment, Ehud, Ehud, I have way too many languages in my mind, Ehud uh, started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But then Ehud, Ehud searched the, reached the stone idols near Gilgal. He turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet. And he sent them all out of the room. And Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in the cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, I'm going to call it Ehud, because I keep saying it in the Spanish way. Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger, strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down a latrine. Verse 27 through 30, when he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him. And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. Verse 30, so Moab was conquered by Israel that day. And there was peace in the land for 80 years. That's a lot of reading, Pastor. I know. I need some oxygen. That's a, that's a lot of reading. Um, I want to preach. So far, we've talked about we're in a fight. We've talked about that. You, we asked a question. We preached the question, what is your fight song? And last week, we talked about the fact that you need a cut man. But today... Um, I want to talk to you about fighting South Paul. What do you say? Let's just talk to God for a few minutes, see what He has for us. Jesus, we love you. God, we're thankful. We're thankful for what you've done in this service already. We're thankful for those that you've touched, that you've healed. We're thankful for the power and the presence that are in this place. But, Jesus, in the next few minutes, there'd be more than just words formulated by a man more than three points in a poem but God let me say something that would stir up somebody that thinks that they're on the outside on the other side of the tracks that they don't qualify they don't measure up they're not like anybody else they're different God help me speak to those people to realize that what they have is exactly what you want and what you're going to do through them is going to be powerful God help me preach this Have you preached it to me in Jesus' name? Everybody said Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There are a few greats that share a trait that other fighters fear. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and and Manny Pacquiao would probably be the most commonly known champions. They, the shared trait is that they are southpaws. In other words, they're left-handed, and this causes a problem for fighters because when they're faced, it's like fighting in a mirror. It's unusual. If the fighter like Pacquiao learned to fight or learned to be able to switch to orthodox stance, then his lead hand would also be his strong hand. The movements were just too hard to adjust to. It was such a struggle that in the past it was common for orthodox boxers or right-handed boxers to simply refuse to face lefties. It's interesting that a recent study of over 13,800 professional boxers and mixed martial artists of varying abilities found robust evidence that left-handed fighters have greater fighting success. Those who are southpaw have a higher chance of winning, 54%. The study concluded that left-handed people are better fighters than their right-handed counterparts because they catch the right-handed off guard. So I just wanted to encourage you today to fight left-handed. Fight southpaw. Let me see if I can explain. Genesis 35, and don't worry about Ethan, this is not on the overhead. Genesis 35, 16 through 18. They left Bethel, where they still, where were still quite a ways from um, Ephrath. when Rachel went into labor, hard, hard labor. When her labor pains were at, her, at their worst, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid, you have another boy. With her last breath, for she was now dying, she named him Benoi, son of my pain. But his father named him Benjamin, son of my right hand. So let me just point out that Rachel dies in childbirth and out of her pain, she's going to mark her son by naming Benoni, our son of my sorrow. However, Jacob walks into the room and renames his son with a title of privilege and position of power, calling him Benjamin. He is a son of his right hand. The right hand, you know, is the right hand of power. It denotes authority and strength. It's the place of favor and honor. The right hand, the right hand. See, Benjamin would become uh, the namesake of one of the tribes of Israel. His tribe is noted for the ranks of Israel's fighting men to be the tip of the spear. The descendants of Benjamin were warriors, fighting men par excellence. and They are modern day marines or special forces or, or, or uh, special operators often sent first in the battle. They were the son of the right hand. You can make this statement that it wasn't just a title given to them, but literal as well. The men were so predominantly right-handed that anyone who wasn't right-handed was considered handicapped or odd. Being left-handed was symbolic for being outside of culturally accepted uh, um, societal norm of leadership in ancient Israel. So, South Pauls were special. So we went through all this. Do you remember we talked about that, that? I want you to read the first three. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel. God gave Israel's enemy control over them because of their evil. For 18 years. What's hard is a side note that the Bible says that God strengthens Eglon; He gives him control. Now, Now, wait a second. God makes our enemy stronger. I want you to go back and read that. Maybe I read it too fast or maybe I stuttered too much or I can't figure out what language I want to pronounce the names in. But it says that God gave Israel's enemy control over them for 18 years because of their evil. I want you to see, I want to help you because in the season that you're facing, where it seems like you're going through tough, long term fruitlessness, long term sickness, long term addiction, long term brokenness, long term pain, long term being overwhelmed, I want you to know that there are times when God allows your enemies to get stronger. How how is that supposed to encourage me, Pastor? Thanks a lot. Well, I should have stayed home today. Let me finish the statement. There are times God will allow your enemies to get stronger so that your victory is more unlikely and more inspiring. Eglon dominates Israel for 18 years. He grows fat off of feeding himself on Israel's fruitfulness. For 18 years, they came and paid tribute. Now, this I want you to picture this king that is so fat. When he sits around the house, he sits around the house. <laughs> He's a big, fat dude in the throne, and every year he is eating god's promises out of his land of promise god's people are bringing what should be theirs to their enemy for 18 years and the enemy is getting fatter and fatter off of the people of god's promises he grows fat off of feeding himself some of the things that you're facing now are growing fat off of you they are feeding off you they hang on just a little longer I want you to know the Lord may be allowing that thing, that person, that challenge to gain strength, but it's all a setup. He's just setting up the victory to be more jaw-dropping, more surprising, more unlikely. See, hang on, because while your enemy is getting fat, you're getting furious. While your enemy is gaining weight, you're gaining muscle. While your enemy is relaxing and thinking that you're defeated, you are gaining experience on how to fight. See, Benjamin, the son of my right hand, the smallest tribe of Israel. Powerful. Is there anyone in the room can say, I, you know, I, I, well, I, I thought I've been going through some stuff for a long time, but I'm confident that when it's all said and done, I'm going to come out on top. See, the hardest thing is to realize to keep fighting. And I know that what I say now, half the people will forget about it before they get to the parking lot. 25 more percent will forget about it before Monday. And pretty much nobody will remember it Wednesday. Remember I told you about the guy that broke his fibula at work? And the fibula, is it only supports 17% of my weight, 17%. The doc was telling me when this guy broke the fibula that, hey, when we need to do bone grafts, they'll take it from the fibula because you really don't need it in the long term, you know, basically looking at your entire body. You can, you can live without your fibula. And the doc said the guy broke his, broke his fibula. Two days, three days later, he said, "Hey, you can take that boot off, whatever you want to. Start walking on it. Start, you know, doing all these things because it's going to be all right." Thursday makes a month. I went and checked on him on Friday. He hasn't done any of it. He's walking around with a boot. He's on crutches. I took him to Walmart, and he's driving the no offense the old people' mobile and with a little basket in front. You're in your twenties, dude. What have you been doing? Oh, I didn't listen to what the doctor said. I've just been sitting around and sitting around and sitting around. And so now, instead of gaining strength, I've atrophied. So what is only responsible for 17% of supporting his weight is now 100% controlling his mobility. Ooh, that's some crazy math. But there's some people with some broken fibula spiritually and instead of, instead of listening to what is coming out of my mouth instead of listening to things that's in your Bible you're sitting around, sitting around woe is me and what should only take 70% of your strength is now completely disabilitated you and now you just I can't do it and he had no pain a month ago and now it's ooh and ouch and ooh, really different because when he was in the doctor's office he said well if they, they take him for surgery how much would you give me for both of mine he wanted to sell them. I was like, well, this is not in this country, Bubba. We don't, we don't do that. But I know a guy in the cartel. We can fix that up. We can take whatever you want to. <laughs> but oh, how his words have changed. When he sits around and sits around. Why do you preach this sermon series on fight, Pastor? Because too many of us have been sitting around and sitting around, and what should only be a small injury has completely incapacitated us, and now we don't have any fight in us, and we're walking around. No, I love for you to walk around. Now we're riding around a little spiritual, you know, old people mobiles, getting to church. Oh, I just hope Todd sings a really good song. I don't know if I can make it. Oh, Todd, sing a fast one, but not too fast because I can't run anymore. I just gotta. Too many of us are not doing what we should be doing. When he says, hey, I want you to walk on it. No, no, I'm afraid. You know what he told me? He says, I feel like if I walk on it now, my whole leg will break. A month later, Bubba? You know me. I had the bedside manner of Genghis Khan. I'm like, walk on it, boy. <laughs> he, he picked the wrong guy to be like the nurse. I'm like, boy, you better walk. I'll break the other one. Uh, so. I won't retell the whole story, but I need to point out the main character. Ehud, Ehud, is an anomaly. He's a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. He's a left-handed man from the tribe of the son of my right hand. He's considered a handicapped man. He's considered a man that doesn't fit in. He it isn't considered, or isn't considered by his people as a candidate for leadership. I also want you to pay attention to how he gains victory. He makes a sword and puts it on his right thigh. Why? Because if you're going to pat me down, I would carry my sword on my left side as a right-hander. So he carries his sword on the other side and nobody even checks him. Eglon's guards don't even look at his right thigh because they're unaware that he's left-handed. Everyone else would have walked in with their weapon over here. So the guards would have spotted that and inspected that so they would have removed the weapon. His disadvantage becomes his advantage. Ehu gains the trust of Eglon, and when he approaches him, he reaches with his left hand and draws the sword off his right thigh and kills, kills Eglon. Then the scripture says that Ehu leaves Eglon den, escapes down the tree, and rallies Israelites. Depending on what you read, that is a very detailed death. You can read the message, you can read other ones. The message says it spills his bowels. That's cute. Go and do a Bible search side by side by side by side. Why is it? Why can't you just say and and he killed him? Why does it say he had to stab him in his stomach and he was so fat that it swallowed up the dagger and his bowels spilled all over the place? You, You don't understand is what was controlling Israel for 18 years. Gluttony and greed. Ehud stabs the very thing that was holding all the blessings of Israel back. He stabs at the problem. He stabs the heart of the problem and set Israel free. Too many of us are just staring at the problem instead of stabbing it. See, he escapes down the tree and they throw off 18 years of captivity, and enjoy peace for the next 80 years. So here's some simple truths. I want you to learn to fight left-handed. He was this unexpected hero. He was so overlooked that Eglot and his men trusted him to be alone with the king. In other words, they saw him as no threat. The enemy, the enemy may see you as no threat. They may say, you know, you haven't been in church long enough or you're too old or you're too young or you don't have enough faith or, or you have too much stuff going on in your life that you hide from everybody else. And then he thinks that you're no threat, that you may be weak, that you may be considered handicapped. He may see you as less than. Perhaps he's beat up on you so long and kept you in captivity so long that he considers you a has-been a defeated foe. But I've come to encourage you. Just because he sees you that way doesn't make it the truth. The truth of the matter is, unbeknownst to the enemy, you may just be left-handed. See, I'm I'm here to talk to the oddball. See, the older I get, the more I embrace my odd baldness—not my baldness, but my my strangeness. I don't try to fit in anymore. I like the fact I don't fit in. They keep telling me, "Don't you know, J.T., you can't be that honest. You'll get fired," probably, but I won't be a liar. Why do you got to be so direct? Because the older I get, is, is anybody over 40, can, can I just amen with me? The older I get, the less tolerance I have for, we'll call it garbage. Um, you, you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I, it just My meter goes off. Doo-doo. No, no, I would not accept that. I, just because it comes out of your mouth doesn't mean I got to accept it. And the older I get, the less I swallow. I'm not taking that. You can keep it. Take your garbage back. Um, I'm telling you how it is, is that some of you may feel like, you know, I just, I just don't fit in. Great, Ehud, that's awesome. Maybe some of you feel like, you know what, everybody thinks I don't qualify for anything because where I'm from, I'm the oddball out. Congratulations, Ehud. It was the oddball out that set Israel free for eight decades, 80 years. But listen to this. It was the oddball out, the one that no one expected that set Israel free for 18 years. Now, 18 years, can you imagine? That means anybody that's 25 years old or younger doesn't know any difference. All they know is defeat and being conquered. All they know is being controlled and have the enemy being in charge. Could it be possible that we accepted being controlled by the enemy so long that our kids think it's normal? Don't worry, don't look him in the eye. He'll keep preaching. Could it be that you've been in captivity so long that it's your new normal and everybody around you thinks that that's how it's supposed to be? 18 years. Is there any kids that are under 18 years in here? Raise your hand, kids. If you're under 18, that would be every child. Chloe, you're sitting by yourself. So if I was on Shark Week, I would attack you because you are sitting by yourself. That means, let's just, let's just put this in, if your mom and dad were in captivity, if your mom and dad were controlled by the enemy, you wouldn't know any different. You would think that's normal. Now, can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine an entire country? All of Israel. Everybody 25 years and younger thinks that's normal. That, that King uh, Eglon of Moab, he's supposed to treat us like this. This is all we ever know. Now, in like the 1998, there was 32 million left-handed people in the United States. I don't know how many there are now. I don't know how many were in Israel. It only took one. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. My whole family suffers with this. That's fine. Okay, let me try to be nicer. Let me try to... I'm going to ratchet down the Genghis Khan, okay? Uh, although Genghis Khan was the first warrior to put women in leadership, just saying, just in case you... Um, he did, a lot of, he did a lot of nasty things, but he did a lot of things that we actually still do today. And so I'm just, I, I'm not saying that I think he's great, but um, I might put some of his stuff on my wall in my office. <laughs> I want to talk to the people that are in here that think you're not qualified. I want to tell you, you are uniquely prepared by God to win an unexpected and unanticipated victory. Pastor, it's all I've ever known. That's fine. It's time for you to actually have some victory. Pastor, I'm just, I, I just have so much money problems. I'm used to it. That is not God's will. We don't understand that, that our, our marriage is, is like, it, it looks like this when we get in the house. We just pick up the gloves and start fighting. That's not supposed to be marriage. You're not supposed to be arguing so much. Can you make it a week or a month? Or nine days without arguing with your spouse, do you argue every day? There's some people that like to fight all the time as an arguer. I like to argue. I do. I do. Not with my wife. I like to argue with everybody at work. It's just, it's one of my spiritual gifts. Say, like, no, 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 I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Um, but it's not supposed to be like that. Do you have a great relationship with your kids? Oh, not really, you know, because they like video games and like this and like that. No, don't accept that. I'm telling you that you are uniquely prepared to win an unexpected and unanticipated victory. We've got to learn that our limitations never limit God. For some of you guys, you understand, I'm going to be facetious. Here comes Genghis. You know that you can't catch COVID on a Wednesday night call. You can call in. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey. Pick up your phone. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. Um, yeah, you ain't gonna get COVID um, on Zoom. So participate. We have some really good discussions on there. Really good things is that why are we going through what we're going through? Yes, ma'am. I missed that. Be honest with you. That's, she's the only one preaching with me. Some of us won't get into a fight simply because we don't feel like we're qualified. We don't feel like we're as strong as somebody else. Let's get to somebody else. But God has a role for you to play. Some of you may even feel awkward. It's funny. The things that we don't do make us feel awkward. Where, where, is, where is Matt? I know he's around here. There you are. I'm picking on you now, brother. It's funny. You can tell people not used to using a microphone because they do weird stuff in the microphone. Like, hey, 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 hey. What are you doing, man? That's not a sound check. That's, <laughs> that's like a spooky house for Halloween. But I love you, man. But that's not how we do style checks. But people don't do stuff all the time and feel awkward. Do you remember when you started to worship and you felt awkward like everybody's looking at you? Newsflash, nobody's looking at you. We're looking at Jesus. We love you. But we're not looking at you. I don't care if you clap on beat, off beat, raise a hand, both hands, walk around like you're trying to catch something. I don't care what you do, just praise Him. But people feel awkward. We feel awkward with the stuff that we don't do. But the more you do, you don't feel awkward anymore. Katie, why are you laughing? You're laughing at me. But we get so awkward. Some of you feel awkward fighting the enemy because you never have. You feel, I feel so dumb. No, no, no. We already realized we already taught you that that your praise that, that is your weapon. We said that your fight song. That is you, you can you can weaponize your worship. We talked about that. We talked about that you are going to get hit and you need a cut man to keep you in the fight. You need someone in your corner that you can run to that'll keep you going when otherwise you throw the towel in. I also want to let you know that you need to learn to switch it up and fight left-handed. What are you saying, Pastor? I'll say it this way. You need to learn to take your awkwardness and your weirdness and your proclivities and you need to use that and let God use it as well. Well, I'm not like everybody else, Pastor. Well, praise God, because I'm weird. I don't want anybody else like me. You know, well, Pastor, you don't understand. I just don't fit in. Great, e Come on over. I want you to know that that If you don't feel like you're normal, you don't feel like you fit in, that you're a square peg trying to fit into a round hole, I want to encourage you to quit trying to fit in. You aren't supposed to fit in. You're supposed to stand out. Your awkwardness, your unsettledness, your restlessness is simply an indication that God made you left-handed. We talked about this a million times. We talked about this before we even started the church, that we are stones, not bricks. Bricks all look the same and are boring. Stones. Different shapes and sizes put together and make it awesome. You're not supposed to be like anybody else in the church. I don't care if it's 30 or 30,000 people. You are supposed to be uniquely you because God's going to use your uniqueness to gain victory. Whether it be in your household, whether it be in your city, on your job, in the workplace, whatever it is. At school, he's going to use your uniqueness. You are going to feel out of place until you get to the season where God revealed you why he made you left-handed. And you're going to feel weird not out of place until God reveals why. You've been hidden on purpose, but you've also been hidden long enough. It's tying the fight left-handed. What you've seen and what others have seen as brokenness and weakness and disqualifying is really just a means of doing great things. I'll repeat the obvious. Moses stutters. Jacob is a second born. Gideon is full of fear. Samson is undisciplined. Jesus is uncomely. The disciples are unlearned. Why are you trying to be perfect? There's not one left-handed folks who accomplish the greatest victories in scripture the left-handed folks perhaps you just need to embrace the fact that you're a southpaw on purpose maybe you can't sing like those on stage i know i can't maybe you can't command an audience and attention sometimes i can't thank you for not sleeping perhaps you don't get the accolades and the applause but unnoticed doesn't mean unnecessary just because you're not noticed doesn't mean you're not necessary Please don't think that the, the applause and the pat on the backs and the attaboys boys and the ad girls are what you need. No, God applauds you. You are needed. Fight left-handed. A left-handed win gets others in. Ehud, the one, the left-handed one, overlooked, unexpected, unlikely, wins the victory and is able to rally the entire nation of Israel and they throw off captivity and enjoy peace for the next 80 years. One victory can inspire others to join the fight. What's crazy is that as soon as Ehu comes back and say, God's give us the victory, they go out and fight the Mo- 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 Moab's best soldiers and rout them. They didn't all of a sudden say, we all got to get into training camp. They, they, Chris, they had it, bro. It was already there. They just weren't using it. When Ehu said, hey, I killed the fat king. And God's gives us a victory, rally the entire nation. And those who knew how to fight already, but got out of the fight, all of a sudden face Moab's strongest, and they destroy them. What are you saying? You already got it in you. You just need an Ehud. You just need someone left-handed that'll stab a fat king, that'll stab that problem, that thing that's been sucking the life out of you and out of your life for so long. You need to attack that very thing, and I promise, the stuff that's been lying dormant will start to come alive. See, let me say it again like this when God uses you, the unlikely one, the unexpected one, the unanticipated one, the overlooked one, it will cause others to get in the fight. Who would win if you would win? Who would win in your life if you would actually win? Your one win, one victory, one you know, fight can lead others to not only shake themselves awake, but to join the fight and win a rousing victory. Who would believe that they could win if you would win? Who would believe that they could get free from drugs and alcohol if you would actually tell them that God actually freed you from drugs and alcohol instead of covering up the fact that he liberated you? Who could win over their depression, their worry, their fear, their sickness, their excuses if you and your left handedness would rise up and win a victory? What would happen if you won the victory, not somebody else? Stop waiting for somebody else to win. You get up. Stop. And listen, victory isn't pretty. I love the fact that it says he stabbed him in his stomach. The dagger goes away, his bowels empty, and he escapes down the latrine. What's a latrine, Pastor? That's called a toilet. Sometimes victory ain't pretty, no I'm smell too good, but a victory is a victory. I'll take a win when I can get it. Oh. Could it be that we're fighting pretty? Oh, I come to worship, I don't want to get sweaty. I come to worship, I don't want to mess up my hair. I'll come to church, but the, you know them shoes, I can't even move move them shoes. If you buy shoes you can't walk in, you sure can't worship in, buy you some new shoes. We, do, we try to fight too pretty. Ehu wasn't worried about fighting pretty. Ehu was fighting to win. He closed the doors, escaped down the toilet, and let this guards knock on the door because they thought that, you know, hey, a lot of peanut butter or something that he was taking a while. They like... They were scared to open the door. Ehu was long gone. They were so scared to open the door to disturb the king. And while the enemy was scared to disturb the king... The one left-handed victor was running back to Israel and about to turn around 18 years of captivity into 80 years of peace. I like that math. See, you could be the one to overthrow. You could be the one to lead the coup. You could be the key in everyone on your row getting free, throwing off chains, living in peace. See, we talk about our family. But what happens if there was someone on your row? Because, see, we're so good at covering up stuff. There's so many of you that been through things, went through them, and are out of them and didn't tell anybody else. But what would happen if you get a win? What would happen? How would it change our church? How would it change those on our row? How would it change someone next to us? Your win could set everyone in your home free. Fight left-headed and see other folks free in the process. Oh, yeah, I'm doing good this series because the next series might not be so short. I'm using rollover minutes next series. Enjoy these 30-minute messages. Mm. I done preach like 45, 55 minutes last series, so I'm trying to cut it down a little bit. Here's the thing. This entire series is can I get you and convince you to use what you already have? Because if I can see it, it doesn't matter if I can see it. It doesn't matter if God can see It <gasps> doesn't matter if God can see it. If he can't convince you to see it, you won't do anything. I'm telling you that we're in a fight. That there is a fight between good and evil. There is a fight for your soul. There's a fight for your family. There is a fight for your children. There's a fight for your finances. The devil that destroy everything. And sometimes he doesn't want to do it quick. Sometimes he wants to do it slow and painful. I'm trying to tell you that you need to realize that your worship is important. Your worship is a weapon. I'm trying to tell you. Last week, I was trying to tell you in the most kind way I can that you're going to get punched in the face and you're going to get cut. Now, you can lay on the mat and let somebody else count the 10, or you can get up in the corner, get up, go back in the corner, let the cut man fix you. You did all this training. You don't let one punch, one headbutt, one one whatever knock you out. Pastor, you understand what I'm going through. I understand. But can I be perfectly honest, and Pastor Genghis is speaking now, you have first world problems. Oh, you don't understand, they took away, they didn't give me my overtime. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, you understand, they didn't give me a vacation day. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, Rick is back. He's nice. Go talk to Rick. Rick will say, I'm so sorry, bro. Oh, sis, I'm so sorry. I'm not telling you, I'm not sorry. What's your 500 vacation days you got? we got first world problems nobody's coming to me all night and steal your child nobody's moving them across no, nobody has to worry about that nobody's worrying about human traffic in here nobody's worried about kicking your door nobody's worried about not walking the streets after 7pm because the cartels come out and it's like a war zone we get mad because Walmart wasn't open 24 hours during COVID I can't believe they ain't open First world problems. What you mean? I can't get all 9,000 restaurants in Concord to DoorDash? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. First world problems. You know what happens to first world problems? If we let it, one punch and we're gone. One punch and we're out of the church. One punch will turn our back on God. One wrong thing. No, I want you to realize that we're in a fight. And everything might not be perfect. Man, we are blessed. But what happens if we throw in the towel, What's is scary, scary, is that I'm teaching my boys to throw in the towel too. Every time, here it is, I'm a pastor. I'll let you stand stay with me. I'll, let you, I'll, I'll give you some hope. Every time you miss church, parents, you are teaching your kids it's all right to miss church. Every time, every time you like, if you haven't picked up the Bible in a month, you're teaching your kids that that book is just a place to hold your seat in a larger church. If you haven't prayed in over a month, you're teaching your kids that not only do you not pray, that you don't believe in prayer. It's crazy. Oh, bro, I've been busy. I know. Tell that to Jesus. You know, I hurt my feelings. Pastor, you don't care if I pray? I want you to pray. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to believe. But if you don't do any of those things, it does not affect me personally. But if you don't do any of those things, what you're telling to God is, I trust you to save me, but I don't want anything to do with you while I'm down here. Just right before I die, make sure I go to heaven, please. Wow. What i love for you to do is say, you know what? God has been so good. Why would I not fight for everything he's given me? Why would I not show my children that this is important? Why would I not worship? I just don't feel like worship. It doesn't matter. Your worship is warfare. How would you not worship? I don't care how you do it. You don't got to run like these kids. There's some days I don't feel like running. Good Lord, I don't feel like running. There's some days I feel my age, man. I ain't running anywhere. I'll walk fast. I don't care how you worship. Just do it. Whether it's one hand in the air, both hands in the air, kneeling at your seat, walking around. I don't care how you do it, but just do it. You know if you're worshiping or not. I'm not going to teach my kids it's okay for me to sit. I'm not going to teach my children that. Now, are you saying you're the best parent, pastor? Oh, good Lord, you know I'm not. What I'm saying is I don't want to teach my children by the things I don't say. You know, you don't have to tell them it's all right. Just don't talk about it. You know what it's alright if you sit down. You don't have to worship. You don't have to go to church. Just don't say anything. I love the fact that Todd still calls our kids to worship. He doesn't give them a chance to sit down. You're not sitting down while Todd's playing. Oh no, 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 no. I love the fact, when he, I love it when he calls out grown folks too. I Like to say, run mother-in-law, run mother-in-law. I love that stuff. I'm like, yeah, tell her bro, tell her. Here's the thing, is if grandmamas are worshiping, what excuse do you have? Hmm. We got one more. We got one more message in this series. And I'll start talking about spiritual warfare, what you guys want to do, we'll, we'll plead the blood, we'll put on the armor of God, all that stuff. If I can't get you to worship, do you think I want to teach you how to actually warfare? How to war in the spirit? And you won't worship. Why would I do that? Listen, one act could change the life of everybody you know. So my question, I'll, I'll leave this in Todd's hand with this question. Who would win if you would win? Who would win? Who would benefit? Because your win is not just for you. It's for your family, for your friends. your brothers and sisters in Christ. Who would win if you win? I encourage you, go on and fight south, Paul. Can we find a place to pray as Todd sings?